Methodists don't like to disagree. Sounds like an essay title, doesn't it? Well, it's not. It's one of the observations of the Reverend Sam McBratney from an organisation called Dignity and Worth. We know, don't we, some conversations are difficult for the church, challenging and therefore difficult for people. What Sam's here to discuss has probably proved to be the most difficult conversation of all. One. 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 The local churches will play a role in becoming community hubs where barriers can be broken down. This poetry has the capacity to deepen and enrich our spiritual life. Those who witness what we are doing identify a hand of God in our lives. One voice, because we're all the same. Hello, I hope you've been keeping well, and however you access this podcast, thank you. Thank you for supporting it and playing a part in its growth. If you want to know the easiest way to receive an episode every time a new one comes out, click on the subscribe button from wherever you get your podcasts and that will happen. To our guests then, in the last couple of weeks, Conference accepted a new definition of marriage, meaning that the Methodist Church has become the largest religious denomination in Britain to permit same-sex marriage. What we can say without fear of contradiction is that it's been an extremely challenging path for many on both sides of the debate. And in a matter of moments, you'll be hearing the Reverend McBratney bring a, a calm and reflective note to a subject that we really must cover in this podcast. I have to say I'm very much looking forward to this chat, which comes in two parts. Somebody else who will be adding their bit to One Voice is Meg Neelam, over in Wellingborough in Northamptonshire. Meg is one of the main driving forces of Golden Years, a social and friendship group for older people, or as her, and I think you'll really like this, her, her late nan called them recycled teenagers. It's good, isn't it? Hear the progress of Golden Years and Meg with that conversation and some of their heartwarming stories will be in this episode. This is One Voice. Same-sex marriages in Methodist churches. It's been a momentous time at conference. One organisation that received the news with great joy was Dignity and Worth. Let's tee up the wider conversation by getting the core purpose first of Dignity and Worth. Here's the chair, Reverend Sam McBratney. Well, we're still a relatively new kid on the block, uh, really, but and we, uh, we took on a lot of the work that organisations like Outcome and the Lesbian and Gay Christian Movement have been doing in the church since the 1970s. But our main purpose is really to campaign within the Methodist Church in Britain and also worldwide for justice for LGBTQ plus people in our churches. And that, of course, included up to now um, the campaign for equal marriage. Just talk to us about the common and archetypal hurdles that there's been in trying to engender that dignity and worth as it's gone about its work, Sam. We took our, our name actually from resolutions that were passed by the Methodist Conference back in 1993, 
which committed the Methodist Church then, and it was an overwhelming majority of the members then who voted for it, committed the whole church to a pilgrimage of faith, which would combat injustice and discrimination and give everyone, regardless of their sexuality, equal dignity and worth. And I suppose one of the issues has been, I think, since then, that although some people in the Methodist Church have embarked on that pilgrimage, then a good deal of people have not. And it's been a very patchy kind of picture for the last 30 years. And so one of the big issues I think that we have faced is getting people to talk about marriage and relationships and things like gender and sexuality at all. It's one of those subjects in the church and because it might involve talking about sex, that uh, a lot of people think um, is not for polite Methodist company. And so actually getting people to engage in any conversation about their own experiences of marriage and relationships or those of their children or grandchildren, or just to engage with the fact that the society, um, science, the way we understand things has changed just so markedly over the last 40 years. There's clearly a divide, or there can be a divide, between conversations or debate online and those that are face-to-face, -face, a person-to-person. -person. Opinions are often very intractable online, aren't they? Clearly, Dignity and Worth use social media, they use online. How do you try and surmount that? And I think that also been a big barrier. I think Methodists don't like to disagree, and therefore, if they feel they might disagree, then they'll, you know, they'll kind of steer a thousand miles clear of it. And so what you end up is with kind of silence. And a lot of fear and anxiety that even though they might have worshipped with these people and sat next to them in church for 40 or 50 years, they're not quite sure whether, you know, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so might say something that they find problematic. Uh, I mean, I spent uh, most of my uh, uh, life in, in ministry engaging in the Ministry of Reconciliation and recognising that reconciliation, as uh, uh, Yitzhak Rabin, the Prime Minister of Israel, once said, you don't have to make peace with your friends, you have to make peace with your enemies, is that actually when people sit down together who hold opposing views, what happens in that interaction is that they recognise not only their differences, but the things they hold in common. And often close friendships or relationships come out of that. And it's out of that experience of a common humanity that people learn to listen and understand one another, uh, even if they don't come to agreement. And, and of course, the whole point of reconciliation, which I think is at the heart of the gospel, is not that we agree but that we learn to live with our differences. That idea, that doctrine of agree to disagree, would you suggest personally and as an organisation that there's just not enough of that? One of the reports that have come out as a result of these conversations uh, coined the phrase living with contradictory convictions. I know it's a bit of a mouthful, but I think it better helps to encompass what we're trying to do because it's not, I think if you simply with agree to disagree, then those two parties need never talk mm. to one another again. There's a kind of sense of walking away from a conversation. Sure. Whereas I think uh, the really important thing is to keep the conversation going. There's always the possibility of transformation in that. The conversation is never finished. And it's really important that people stay in relationship and continue to learn from each other. I think we learn most from the people we disagree with rather than the people mm. we agree with. And in modern social media, I mean, the creation of echo chambers where people are only ever engaging with people who agree with them, <laughs> uh, you know, and I get that, uh, you know, I mean, most of the criticism I've had over the last 10 years in engaging with 
people who uh, publicly and privately disagree with me or are public, uh, a public disagreement about same-sex marriage, most of the, of the hassle I've had is not from people who disagree with me, but from people who say they agree with me. Yes. Because why am I talking to these other people? They're obviously wrong. And I'm giving them credence. I'm giving them a voice. I think the idea is that, particularly as we're moving into an area, I think, in wider Western society of no platforming people, of cancelling people, that the whole point is, A, we have no right not to be offended, but also that in listening to others, yes, you are in relationship with them, but you don't have to agree in order to, to listen. And, and, and I think, you know, I think the gospel commands, demands that we always offer costly hospitality. We're, we're always open, not only to our friends and our mates, but to people who are not our friends. Mm. You know, I was going to almost fall into the trap there, Sam, of saying, I agree with you, I concur, but then realised <laughs> <laughs> that probably plays beautifully to the echo chamber you've just illustrated. <laughs> and the chat with Sam resumes after we've met our second guest. But before we do, I wonder if you can help with this. Cast your mind back, not, not an especially long way, and you'll probably remember we spoke to one of the staff of Cafe M, which is part of the Emmanuel Church in Western Favel in Northampton. Well, they need a cook fairly quickly. They need to lay their hands on a cook uh, with some rapidity. It's 30 hours a week, the position they're looking to fill. It's salaried, and amongst other specifications, they do need that person to have had catering experience. Please try and spread this word around ASAP if you can. If you're aware of somebody that is looking for that kind of work, skilled and experienced in that kind of work, it's best to contact the church administrator at Emmanuel Church. In life, you occasionally meet people who not only have wonderful and selfless ideas, but they have the tenacity to make them happen. They have goals, and no matter what they come up against, they realise those plans. In Northamptonshire, I think there is no better example than Golden Years, who have just reached their fourth birthday. And Miss Action herself is Meg Neelam. The One Voice Podcast. Joe, I was thinking about this, Meg, the way that I should start this really is by going, happy birthday to you. <laughs> happy birthday, dear Golden Years. Or fourth birthday. Yeah. Oh, and also, what? how would you celebrate the sort of things that you'd have at a fourth birthday? Well, I suppose typically it's probably Lego, <laughs> dinosaurs. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I have gone for a very, disregarding the fact that we've got men part of the group as well, I've gone for a very pink theme. So it does kind of mirror a, a, a four-year-old girl's birthday party. <laughs> Have you got you got a clown turning up and some entertainers or something like that? Oh, do you know what? I was literally steps away from trying to get the ice cream van to turn up, but then I thought, oh, yeah. oh if I do that, I'm going to have everyone piling outside all together with no social distancing. I did stop myself from organising that, but um, <laughs> yeah. no, we've got a singer. I was going to say you're going to have to take pictures, but I know you will and put them on oh, of course the we Golden Years yeah. Instagram and stuff yeah. like that. We've not been able to post much for a while, so it would be nice to finally have some decent photos to post. 
just in case anybody with this podcast hasn't come across Golden Years, which in some respects I seriously doubt, but you, you've got this group, Golden Years. It's four years old at the time of recording this today. And you came up, I think, I'm assuming it was you, uh, Meg, that came up with this term, recycled teenagers. So you, you claim full credit for that personally, do you? Well, actually, again, it was my nan. <laughs> <laughs> um, she always classed herself as a recycled teenager I don't know where she got that from um, it was just something that I have only ever heard her say and uh, I mean can any of us remember a time before the pandemic but what what was it that you were doing for those uh, recycled teenagers at the, the, the start of golden years you know before anyone had ever heard of of COVID-19 we had to cancel quite a lot of events and we had planned for booked and planned for last year to go to Wales to do the longest zip wire and then we were going to some were going to walk up Snowdon and some were going to get the train up so that we could go to the top of Snowdon and we were going to do there's a giant swing (laughs) at one of the park um, one of the um, zip wire parks and we were going to do tobogganing through the forest as well so it's all things like that like pushing the boundaries towards getting them to do things that families would do but uh, with younger children perhaps (laughs) and getting them to you know experience that there was a double point to it so obviously that was primarily what what we were hoping to do and to keep younger people keep the younger older ones healthier and younger and active more active for longer but as well as combating that social isolation, because a lot of a lot of older people, they've got great families, and you know that when you think of somebody typically lonely, you think of somebody that's on their own or hasn't hasn't got family that visit regularly. Whereas that, actually, there's a lot of people that have got wonderful family, but they still feel lonely for a good chunk of the time through the day, even though they're seeing family regularly because they don't feel like they've got anything of their own to live for like they they don't you know they go to they're relying on their families to take them out and do things and they haven't got like something of their own in their own life o- older age and retirement should be a time where you get to really enjoy a bit more free time to keep your life as healthy as you can and just you know really embrace and enjoy as much as possible whilst you still can what I always loved is that there's this um, uh, large number of really fabled stories within Golden Years that involve McDonald's, HGV driving, <laughs> skydiving. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, you know how how right I was on this, but I often picked up that y- you were certainly at one point very nearly running yourself into the ground in the process of this. Did you? Uh, how did you manage to get the balance of it all? I was most definitely and. In all honesty, not wanting to take anything away from what everyone else has suffered through the pandemic, but lockdown and the pandemic actually was, a I don't know if I can say it was a godsend for me, but it was a real time for me to reassess everything and to slow down and to, I was forced to reevaluate everything because if I'd have kept going at the rate I was before we had to go into lockdown, yeah, I, I, I would have become really quite unwell, I think, because I couldn't have maintained that pace and that pressure and that workload. Quality has to come above quantity. And if we're doing one or two or three really sort of great events a month, 
that people really you know they leave and they really feel great after they've left and they really it's something that they'll always remember then I think that's better than trying to spread ourselves too thinly um because I yeah I definitely wouldn't be able to maintain that pace I was going at before Covid came along you had the I think it was the deputy mayor wasn't it that came and opened this wonderful unit yeah. that you had at Nencourt you know there was, yeah. there was jazz and it was a whole day thing there was food lots of happy smiley faces so to say even though in the long run that might have been the best outcome to wave goodbye to that Meg it must have been must have been really really hard I mean I don't know if if I work properly or not but I was very pragmatic about it hmm. and although we'd spent a lot of money and a lot of time making that unit a home for golden years ultimately for me it was the people that were more important and wasting a load of money to rent a building that we weren't going to be able to use safely for an indefinite amount of time just wasn't practical so I didn't find it difficult to to say goodbye to to the unit being at Nencourt hadn't quite given me the the right feel that I was hoping for because it it wasn't quite the base and the community that I was dreaming of, which we've now got in Earls Barton. Like all the businesses work together and it's a lot more community orientated. I mean, I obviously felt a lot of regret for the money that had been wasted um, on, on renovating some of it. Um, but you can't think like that, can you? We, we, we had a great few months there. Mm. We've got some mm. lovely memories from the place. We're surrounded by businesses in Els Barton. So even though we, we can't host the friendship group in our shop now, like we could at the unit, but we're surrounded by other businesses like Ruby and Claret, Jay's. We've got the amazing espresso coffee shop next door. Like we've got all of these businesses surrounding us that are all so supportive already yeah. where we can host other events and, and work with other businesses to really tie into that community spirit. Whereas that, and then court we really only had the garden deli yeah and the thing is even the things that that couldn't or didn't need to work out in the long run whether that's Nencourt or anything else they're all amazing achievements that you know you can uh, take great pride at can't you because you oh, can yeah. look at those things yeah and think, there's no I have no regrets no. or no when I look back over the four years and over the time but I just think wow like what an amazing thing like mm. we went from having a an office which I never even dreamed of having when I when I first set this up I would never have thought I would have had my own office let alone then have a pop-up shop um, that was named after my nan to then move into our own unit and have a bar yeah we've really made it now so I'm just full of great memories from that like I don't I don't feel sad or regret or anything like that because I think a world pandemic happened and we are still afloat. You know, you're obviously said it all along. You're obviously a doer. If the, the minute yeah. the minute you decide something's going to happen, oh yeah, it happens. And yeah. woe, woe betide anything that, or uh, however big or small that's standing. Oh, no. I mean, I, I, I can I can see now with this big space race for like civilians that you'll be the one getting uh, recycled teenagers up into space as tourists. Oh yeah, honestly, <laughs> with yeah. A, a cup of tea in one hand and a space helmet in the other. We'll have our own space rocket as well. <laughs> like, why, why, why hire one or go on somewhere yeah. else's when we can, you know, do a bit of fundraising and get our own? Just, just don't get a parking ticket for it. Our very best wishes to the amazing and very funny Golden Years, who they just know how to spread smiles and purpose and fulfilment. <laughs> 
from the Methodist Church in Northampton. You are with the One Voice podcast. Time to take care of the mystery minister doings. Now, Lois, Phil, Penny, Trevor and some of our American listeners to the podcast spotted that the most recent one was Richard Burton. Good. Very good. But who is this? A donkey teaching the scriptures to the bishops. The Pope is a fox. The abbot is a monkey. He really had a daring talent for comic images. I would like your answers to that. So just their name to John, J-O-H-N, at onairjohn.com. A donkey teaching the scriptures to the bishops. The Pope is a fox. The abbot is a monkey. He really had a daring talent for comic images. My email address for your efforts to the mystery minister, j-o-h-n at o-n-a-i-r j-o-h-n dot com. John at onairjohn dot com. Good luck. Now to run the second part of that conversation with the Reverend Sam McBratney, Chair of Dignity and Worth. The Methodist Church in Northamptonshire. This is One Voice. Over the years, the conversations have occasionally been painful. Many quarters have recognised that. I'm sure Dignity and Worth has. How does the healing take place in the places that it needs to? Mm, that's a really good question. And and again, healing is one of those things like reconciliation that is a that in many ways is a voluntary process. I think sometimes we get into a bad habit in church of using the word ought and should too much or we, as Christians we should forgive or we ought to do this and for me I think you know unless it's voluntary it just won't happen and I think for some people it's too painful at the minute and that's whether whether it's people who are LGBTQ plus identified or, or people who feel that what we did has been a complete violation of the gospel and what I say is actually take time to come to terms with those things. Don't force yourself into a space where you're too vulnerable to engage in any kind of healing process. So I think people need to give themselves time. I think they need to walk, you know, to be able to take themselves out of situations where they might get further damaged or hurt. And I think, but for those of us who feel ready to move into conversations, I think healing and reconciliation only comes when we engage with people who are different. Uh, We cannot do it on our own. And that's part of the difficult task where I think for too long in the Methodist church is that we talk about social media and echo chambers, but a lot of our churches are echo chambers Mm. of groups of people who only talk with people like them. And they talk about the other as, well, they think this or they think that and don't have really good, strong relationships. Mm. And I just wonder whether... Uh, we can, uh, but that needs to be done intentionally. Um, it doesn't happen by happenstance. We have to reach out to the other and invite them into a conversation. The ideal scenario of robust debates being challenged, questioning the unquestioned. Do, how does that sit for you and, and with dignity and worth when you look at the freedom of conscience clause? Uh, is that the right thing to do? I think, uh, and I worked for many years as a university chaplain where, where this was uh, uh, often uh, a bone of contention with uh, faith societies in particular, is, is that there is 
and, and we used to say within the university is that there is an absolute freedom of belief but there is not an absolute freedom for expression of that belief. And that's where sensitivities come in. It's not what you believe necessarily. And nobody has a, you know, quite rightly in any democratic society, people must be absolutely free to believe whatever they want. But how they express it is a matter for others. Often when people use the term robust in debate, they mean I want to be offensive mm -hmm. and you can't stop me because it's what I believe. I recognize that people are deeply passionate and uh, it goes to the really heart of, of who we are when we talk about these things. But I think there's also the mandate in um, particularly in Methodism where Christian conferring is a means of grace, according to John Wesley. <laughs> you know, he always saw the Methodist conference as a means of grace, mm. just like preaching or the sacraments. I'm not sure those of us who go to the Methodist conference would see it as that. But, but therefore, actually, in the listening to other people, I think there's still a mandate to love. There's still a mandate to be responsible for others, to bear one another's burdens. And therefore, we are, in the best sense of that word, I think we still need to be careful in the words that we use and in how we're being heard. And I think part of the listening is not just that we get our say, but that we allow others to reflect back to us how they are hearing what we say in order that we might say things more clearly. I'd like to put this to you, you know, at the end of the conversation because, because your answers have led me here. Have you always had this equitable view of people and their differences? What fostered that in you? I grew up in the north of Ireland and I was born in the early 70s at the worst, the worst time of, the, of what, what euphemistically we called the Troubles. So I grew up in a society where we were always them and us and where we lived our lives almost in complete uh, exclusion from the other. And we talked about people and not to them. And it always struck me as uh, bizarre that we were able to do that. And we knew with such certainty what the other side thought and what they did. And so I began to question that, you know, from an early age, really, and got into trouble for doing so. Um, you know, I'm very well aware of how damaging words are, that words loosely used lead to, you know, in my context, led to people dying. As long as the right side were dying, then it was, it was more acceptable. Mm. Uh, and that was even in Christian, and especially in Christian circles. And I saw the church, I have to say the mainline churches, including the Methodists, who basically stood by and watched and, uh, and, and really who could have done a lot more to intervene and to stop people, but were afraid of saying the wrong thing and therefore mm. upsetting their own. And so, I, you know, I, I think I, I, that sat with me and, and I thought, actually, there's something about being able just to reach out to people who are different. I think the other thing that really drives me is uh, and I've said this to, to be, I don't, you know, when I've had built good friendships with people like Paul Smith and Martin Turner and others who were former leaders in the evangelical community and Methodism. And I have to say, uh, you know, what really worried me in all of this was that I was going to have to choose whether I lived in a church with those people or without them. Uh, and I don't want to choose. I have learned so much from evangelical Methodists. You know, I went to Cliff College. I learned a love of the Bible there and of preaching that has stayed with me. I, I don't want to have to choose. And I don't see why I should have to choose. And life is more interesting, it seems to me, when you've got people who disagree with you in the room. And for those who are now intrigued to know more, to learn more about uh, the work of Dignity and Worth, of course, of which you are chair, Sam, mm -hmm. what are the good online places to, to go for that? 
Well, we have a website, um, dignityandworth.org.uk. We do our best to keep that as up to date as we possibly can. And we'll be putting more stuff up there. I mean, one of the things that uh, we're thinking about now that we've got the British Methodist Conference out of the way, uh, what, one of the questions that we're uh, looking or one of the things we're looking for is next year, the World Methodist Conference meets in uh, Sweden. Obviously, that will be all the member churches of the World Methodist Council. We now sit alongside the likes of the Methodist Church in Argentina or New Zealand or Italy, who have uh, adopted the same kinds of resolutions as we adopted this week and who uh, permit same-sex marriage uh, and allow LGBT people to serve in ministry. But the vast majority of the World Methodist family are still not in that place. And so we'll be looking to be visible at World Methodist Conference, but also to encourage more conversations um, across the Methodist world um, in Africa and Asia, Oceania and Latin America, as well as also, of course, holding our um, particularly American uh, Methodist uh, siblings in prayer because immediately after the World Methodist Conference, then the General Conference of the United Methodist Church, which covers 54 countries, will be meeting in the United States with every likelihood that they will decide to split over um, the question of uh, LGBTQ plus justice and relationships. Uh, and we're desperately sad that that's probably more likely to happen than not uh, and will lead to a lot more hurt. Hmm, certainly plenty of things to think about there. I do I do like the phrase costly hospitality. Makes you think. My thanks to Reverend Sam McBratney. I'm also very grateful too to Meg Neelam of Golden Years. Now I'm not always in a position to be able to tell you who will be cropping up in the next episode of One Voice. But here's an exception to that. Martin Gage will be speaking next time on behalf of Christian Aid, telling their story and the successes they're having currently. So very much looking forward to that. Listen out for Martin from Christian Aid in the next episode of the podcast. I thought it would make sense because the church is frequently setting up fundraisers of all types for Christian Aid. So to hear about their work will be interesting, fascinating, I think. So yeah, looking forward to that. And that is where we leave it. Please save a prayer for the plight of those in Namibia affected so badly by COVID-19 and the, the desperately thin on the ground resources they've had to deploy within that situation. Let's all hope that they see some respite from that, some light and good news before too long. Please take care of yourself and those around you and we'll return very soon. Stories, community and what brings us together. This is One Voice.